Willow. This is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm excited you're here today. I have an amazing interview with a woman who's a very prolific writer, a great person to hear from and listen to. So stay tuned for this amazing, epic interview with Susanna Weiss. She has been on many big platforms and shows and had articles in many popular magazines. She's very amazing. And so I am really excited to talk with her on my podcast. I talk about all things related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and interviews related to that and erotica and any kind of tips about better sex. Okay, so we're going to get started. If you're under 18, it is time for you to leave the podcast now, please. This is not for you. This is adults only. And so here we go with the interview. Are you ready? Let's fucking do it. Susanna Weiss. I am just blown away by all that she has done, all that she does. Just absolutely phenomenal source to help with enjoyment of life and sex and just so much to learn here. Her name is Susanna Weiss. She is a certified sexologist, a sex educator, and sex in love coach. She studied gender and sexuality and cognitive neuroscience, and she creates amazing courses. She writes articles, she writes stories, and so much more. Welcome, Susanna. Thank you. That was such a nice intro. <laughs> well, it's all true. <laughs> Absolutely. Just amazing background you have. And what brought you to this point? Like what drove you to do this type of work? I think what drove me initially was my experience when I started exploring sexually in college and was slut shamed for it and Mm -hmm. realized that there was a double standard in how female and male sexuality were viewed and that women, seeing how women were really denied agency over their bodies and how female desire wasn't acknowledged, but rather men pressuring women into sex was almost considered the norm. And that just to me neglected that whole stereotype, just neglects such a big part of who I am and who a lot of women are. And so I think that was the first thing. And just as I studied feminist theory, I just really enjoyed geeking out over that stuff. And (laughs) I just wanted to learn more and more. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. And I love that you're doing this type of work to help change that and change some of the attitudes that people have had for many, many years in our country regarding, yeah, female sexuality and enjoyment and pleasure. And, you know, it ends up being uh, men are included because that's how you procreate. But the women's pleasure doesn't play a role. So they don't even talk about it, which is really, really sad and disturbing. Mm -hmm. It is. It's like women are viewed like passive receptacles. 
Well, exactly. And yet we're so complicated and amazing that that just totally gets lost. And many people don't even realize, which is why I think what you do is so amazing. Like, so you have a free course that you offer for teaching people how to orgasm. And then you have a paid course that delves into it more heavily and thoroughly. Is that right? Yeah. So I created this free course, The Orgasm Cure, based on my personal experiences being unable to orgasm with a partner until I was 25. And I thought about what helped me get over that issue and sort of what also helped me experience more pleasure beyond just orgasming with a partner, but feeling more pleasure throughout my body. And so I sort of distilled that into seven assignments um, for, for like a week. And then like the first week is just my own story. So anyone can sign up for that on my, they can find it through my social media. Yeah. And I'm currently Enrollment is open for a course called Living Life Orgasmically, which is a five-month deep dive into these concepts. So it covers basic things like the anatomy of the vulva and different ways to touch it, and also things that I learned personally in my own journey about being embodied and slowing down and learning to feel more pleasure in your daily life and experience sensuality, because what I learned is that sensuality is the foundation for sexuality. And if you're only focused on your genitals, that actually inhibits inhibits pleasure in your genitals and elsewhere because you're not feeling to your full capacity. So the course is designed to teach people different ways, both sexually and otherwise, to expand their ability to feel. I love that. And yeah, that is spot on. I think that's true because I've experienced both levels of what you're talking about in my life. And it's true. It's sensuality. If you don't have that going on, your sex is going to, it's going to fall flat. It's not going to be fulfilling. It won't be as ripe and full and lush. Yeah, that was sort of my experience that I had this goal that I really wanted to orgasm with a partner. And then I figured out the technicalities of that and how to do that. And it was great, but there was also something missing because I was still very much in my head and I was fantasizing to get off. And it sometimes felt almost like I was masturbating with another person's body because I was just focused on that goal. And I realized that there's a lot more to sex than the technicalities of orgasm. Very true. Very true. And for people to find you, you have your website is SusannaWeiss.com, right? Yep. S-U-Z-A-N-N-A-H-W-E-I-S-S. And then you're on Twitter as Susanna Weiss and mm-hmm. Insta as Weiss Susanna. Yep, exactly. Awesome. And now did you find that when you created, wanted to create this course, did you find that people were receptive to it? The free one, one? The free one. Well, I guess we'll talk about the free one first. Yeah, the free one. I've gotten a few dozen people signing up over the past few months and I've gotten a few emails giving positive feedback, which is exciting. So yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people male and female, but this is for female, like have trouble with orgasms and, and, or like want to experience more with their orgasms and their pleasure and sex lives. Absolutely. It is so needed. I mean, I just feel like there's a lot of women out there just don't 
understand their bodies. And I just always want to cry when I hear about an older woman who maybe never even experienced an orgasm for years and years and years, you know, but then maybe she finally did. I'm thinking of a specific instance where a woman, I heard a story of a woman who didn't orgasm for years until she was 60. Wow. And that's extreme and sad to me. It also shows that it's never too late. Like you can be really? in your 60s and still be like hitting your sexual peak. Absolutely. I think a lot of people in our country think, oh, well, once you're older, you no longer have sex. And that is so not true. Just that person alone is one example. And I've bumped into a few other people that are trying to project that into the culture that older people, older people still have sex and they can enjoy it very, very much. That's true. Very true. That I just talked to a woman named Joan Price who does great work on that. She's a speaker and educator who uh, she wrote a book based on being in her 50s, I believe, and having the best sex life of her life and realizing that no one was talking about that. And she started writing advice for, you know, people who were not ne- not even necessarily seniors, but older than the typical like person who's portrayed as sexual. And discover that sometimes people's bodies do change as they get older, but they find new ways to experience pleasure. And like there is so much potential to keep learning and growing no matter what your age. I love that. That's great work too. I think that's totally needed too. The way that our culture is that people just look at it differently when you get older, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's true by any means. So you have over 8,000 articles published and that is a lot. Like what, what is your, what's, what do you often, most often write about? I most often write about sex, relationships, gender issues, social justice and psychedelics and other mind altering experiences. Well, that's very good. That's very intriguing. I love that. What's your favorite topic of those to write about? Or do you have one? It's kind of hard to pick a favorite, I know. You know, I feel like it's funny because it's not something I write about often. I've written a few pieces over the past few years on like science and quantum physics and the universe. And I feel like I want to write more about that stuff. I don't know that much about it, but that's like, that stuff really fascinates me. That is very fascinating. Very interesting. Now, would that be just, would you relate that to any sort of personal experience that people have? Or is you talking more kind of like a theoretical? Just theoretical. I wrote this article about Schrodinger's cat. Have you heard of Schrodinger's cat? No. It's this idea in quantum physics of a cat that's alive and dead at the same time, because through this theoretical experiment, which was never actually performed, a cat's life is linked to a a radioactive atom with a 50-50 chance of decaying. And a quantum state theoretically exists, or a quantum system exists in two states at once. So if the, before you observe this, contraption, the atom both decays and does not decay, which means the cat is both alive and dead. And then you open the box that the cat's in and you see if it's alive or dead. I actually have a tattoo of that on my arm. To me, it was a symbol of how we have both 
good and evil inside us. And in each moment, we decide which to act from. That's totally poetic. That's not scientific. But I think I'm just fascinated by this idea like that our reality, that we're living in multiple realities at once, and we could choose which one we want to actually live in. So yeah, I'm interested in things like that, like where science intersects with philosophy. Yeah, that is very interesting. And, and I think that's true. I guess I never really thought about that, but we do exist and we are making choices and we live a li- in the good or in the bad, if you know, most basic level. Yeah, that's very deep and very, very interesting. We're also kind of not making choices because our brains, there have been experiments showing that like our brain activity that makes choices actually starts before we're aware of the choice. So that's a whole other discussion. And I don't know how both of those things can be true, but I somehow believe they're both true that we're making choices and we're not making choices. That is very interesting. I could, I could imagine that as well. Just very interesting. That kind of mind blowing. (laughs) (laughs) That's very cool though. It's a great thing. So I was on your Twitter and I saw that you're doing a festival today. I know that this is going to air be after that festival, but will it be possible for people to like get a replay of that, this festival, or is it just only live? I actually don't know. It's called How the Light Gets In. They could look it up and see. Yeah, I'm trying to Google it, but I don't know if I can look it up quickly enough. Sorry, I don't know. Well, that's okay. Maybe by the time this airs, I, if there is a link of people that, that they could actually like purchase a replay or somehow watch it, then I could add that at that point. Yeah, I'll also, if there is, I'll probably share it on my social media. Oh, sure. Right. What are you talking about in the festival? I'm on a panel called The Trouble with Sex, and it's a debate about why people are having less sex than they used to 20 years ago, according to some studies. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, the way they framed it is a little problematic. I'm probably going to say something about this. There's like in the description, there's this question, like, is it a victory for the Me Too movement? that People are having less unwanted sex, but I feel mm. like that's a different question because rape isn't the same thing as sex. And like, very, I don't think good. people are, I don't think people are reporting fewer sexual experiences because they're getting raped less often. Like, I feel like that yeah. would be two separate things in someone's mind. So I'm going to probably point that out. I don't know why people are having less sex. I think it could be because people are getting into serious relationships. They're waiting longer to do so. So if you're in a committed Mm -hmm. relationship, you'll probably have more sex just because there's someone always available. That's my guess, but we'll see what everyone says. Right. Yeah. That all makes sense. Yeah. And your point about the question. Yeah, absolutely. It's a totally different situation. So I saw that you also have an erotica story out in the big book of orgasm. Is that out yet or is it about to release? Yeah, that came out just a few days ago. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. What's your story about? It's actually a true story about my first orgasm with a partner. It's about this guy that I met on vacation when I was on vacation, when I was 25 years old and he lived in Germany and he, we fell in love and he came, we met in Ibiza and fell in love and he came to visit me in New York. And at that time I had never had an orgasm with a partner and I was super determined. So I like studied and I like took a class and then like 
And then he came to New York and I had my first orgasm with a partner while he was fingering me. And then like, you know, he was just fingering me all the time that week. And it was this great, like new romance. But the piece specifically is about that one instance and my struggle to get there. And like, I kept thinking of like, oh, wait, I think it's going to happen. And then like, and then it doesn't. And then I'm like, wait, now. And then it finally did. And it was so exciting. That's awesome. So is it more, you write it more from like, is it fiction? Do you, you fictionalize it? Or is it more of like a memoir? That piece is not fictionalized. That piece is all true. Okay, very cool. So is the book all memoir and nonfiction? Or do there some fiction in there as well? I think it's mostly fiction. Okay. So yours is more of a rare piece within the, the work. I don't know for sure. You know, it's always hard to know. I think a lot of authors write something in between fiction and nonfiction. Great. Yep. It seems based on there was like a Twitter chat with the authors. A lot of them seem to be writing fiction. Okay. So tell me, I was looking on your Twitter and I saw that you recently had an interview regarding how DIY vibrators are changing the sex and tech industry. And I also have to understand, I can't understand what is a DIY vibrator. What does that mean? Yeah, I talked to this woman, Alice Stewart, who makes a kit for people to put together their own vibrators. And I've never used one, so I'm not the best to explain them. But I think, you know, you get the different parts and you you can design and customize them. And I think you use coding to customize the vibrations. And so she was saying it's a way for some women to get comfortable with tech and a way for people to make toys that accommodate a wide variety of bodies and preferences. So she's sort of using it to open up conversations about sex and sort of celebrate people's sexual individuality. Okay. Now, is it one that would model something or is it not like that type of a toy? What do you mean? Like, I know that I've heard of some companies that will actually allow you to model a person's genitalia and create a sex toy in that way. Or is it totally something different than that? I think it's different from that. Yeah. I've seen these kits. They're called clone a pussy and clone a willy. I think that you Mm -hmm. like you create a mold of your genitals and then you make the toy based on that and you can add vibration to it. That's another cool thing in the sex tech industry, but I think that's a separate thing. Yeah. It sounds like it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very interesting too. And especially for maybe a couple where one travels a lot, you know, that they could take that with or have it at home. That's a, that's a really, I mean, talk about a personalized toy. Mm-hmm really phenomenal that someone has developed such a thing. It's just kind of amazing. (laughs) All this technology out there. And what's your take on people using technology in their sexuality? Do you feel like it adds to it or takes from it? I think it can do both based on my experience coaching. I've known people who have felt like porn and or sex toys Like sometimes people learn to get off in a way that's reliant on those things and their body creates a pathway to pleasure that 
prevents them from experiencing connection or pleasure with a partner. So I have seen that happen. I've also seen people, for some people, sex toys allow them to experience their first orgasm or to have more fun with a partner or to like experience pleasure in different ways than they might otherwise, like people who've been able to experience anal pleasure through toys. Or So I think... I think that it can go both ways. Yeah, same thing with porn or cam sites or various things on the internet. I think they can teach people new ways of expressing their sexuality. They can help people figure out what their fantasies are. I think it's good to be mindful of how you're using it and also that you're using it in an ethical way, such as paying for porn is the most ethical way to do it because then you're making sure that the sex workers involved are actually making money off of it. So there's, yeah, there's ways in which it can be more or less consciously used. So I think it could be either. Yeah, I think that's true. And one area though, I see that that can be a problem. I totally agree. People should pay for it, but there are some people that don't want it known that they're purchasing such things or they don't want their partner to know that. And this is where it ends up getting sticky. You know, you don't, what do you, I mean, it's really hard to be in that space in your life. And how do you deal with that? You know? Yeah. Well, I think that if somebody didn't want their partner to know that we're purchasing porn, there's a problem there that needs to be addressed. You know, is it because, it seems like there there's a conflict of desires or a conflict of sexual values. If someone would not be okay with that, that partners should discuss. So I feel like that's probably something that shouldn't be hidden unless there's, I don't know. I know some people are in abusive relationships and don't necessarily feel like they can do anything without repercussions from their partners. But in general, I think that that's something that should be discussed. Yeah, I think that that's a true sign that, you know, there needs to be a change in the relationship or there needs to be therapy of some sort, because if you're, yeah, if you're trying to hide that, there's something, something wrong. You know, if if one person does is asexual and the other one is sexual, then you shouldn't have to hide it because it's known between you. So yeah, that's a, that's a big red flag for needing more help. Yeah, I mean, someone, some people prefer that their partners don't look at porn and to them, it's almost like cheating. And that's not necessarily a bad thing if that is a need of theirs. And maybe there's a reason that they need their partner not to look at porn in order for them to feel secure, but then they need a partner who, for whom looking at porn is not important. And same thing with the vice versa. There's no problem with porn being an important part of your sex life, but then you need a partner who's comfortable with that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Communication and it's only going to be going to grow through communication. So yeah, that's, that's a very good point. So tell me about your Twitter, the sexuality space. Is that something that you participate in or is that something that you create on your own? That was just a chat that took place on Wednesday with the authors of the big book of orgasms, erotica, to talk about erotica writing and our stories. So it's not a repeat thing. It was like a one time. It is that the woman who ran it does run Twitter chats, I believe every week. I, I was only brought on to this one. 
Okay. I got it. So now I understand. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting area that Twitter is going into. I haven't participated in it yet myself, but I find it very interesting. So you can talk to people live. Is that correct? Yeah. I I didn't know about it until then either. It's It's like what we're doing now. It's voice chat, but it's over Twitter and a lot of people can join. And I think it seemed like people could be designated speakers or listeners. And like, there is maybe like a dozen speakers at a time. And then anyone who wanted could join and listen in. Gotcha. Do you ever bring into the light information about how to help people who have medical issues to reach sexual enjoyment? We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean shaven for spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. I have thought about that a lot because I've personally had my own medical issues. And I think that um, women and non-binary people in particular, our medical issues get normalized, get ignored or get trivialized. And I think that that could be behind some of our sexual issues. I know that lots of medications can lead to difficulties with arousal or orgasm. Women are more likely than men to be prescribed SSRIs, which are an antidepressant, then it can interfere with sexual function. And I know personally, when I was prescribed Prozac when I was 17, nobody told me that it could interfere with sexual functioning. So I like went a few years, I think that was a big reason I couldn't orgasm with a partner, but I didn't even know initially that that was a part of it because nobody talked to me about that. So I think, and 
later in life, I experienced bladder issues and pelvic floor dysfunction. And I noticed that as I worked through that, like more sexual sensitivity opened up. And I think there are probably a lot of women who have some kind of pelvic floor dysfunction, who have tightness in their pelvic muscles that may be inhibiting pleasure. So I think that's actually a big part of sexual functioning that we don't always talk about is that a lot of women have undiagnosed illnesses or medical problems or reactions to medications that aren't known. And it's not all psychological. Sometimes there really is a physical thing going on. Yeah. And I ran into this topic. I was interviewing a CEO of a sex toy company and one of the things that they do, which just I thought was just fantastic and it really blew me away is they have a sex toy that is used as therapy for someone who has such things. And what it does is it the woman is to use it on her vulva and it is supposed to increase blood flow to that area. And they use it over a period of time, 12 weeks, whatever. And there's like a schedule. And this is supposed to help their body heal in that area so that they can have better sex, more satisfying sex, feel more. And I just, I was just really blown away. Like, wow, that is just such a huge piece of tech that is so valuable. I mean, that can help so many people. I think I might have tried out something like that. There's I'm looking it up now because I wrote an article about it. Was it called Fiera? I know no, it's that. the company. I believe they're called Mystery Vibe. Oh, interesting. So Mystery Vibe, I know them. I think they were originally created just as a sex toy, but I did see a study showing it was used to treat sexual dysfunction. So that's interesting. There's also a device called the Fiera that's specifically for that. And it's not even... A vibrator, like it's the vibrations aren't strong enough that it would like lead most people to orgasm, but it just increases the blood flow to your genitals. And I remember trying that before sex and feeling like it did make me more aroused and like made it easier to feel pleasure. Interesting. Yeah. And I was really amazed by some of the products they have. They have one that also helps a person with a penis maintain an erection and, and it, it also has components to it that will also pleasure a person with a vulva. So it's just like this two-part toy. I just, that interview hasn't gone live yet, but it was very, very interesting. And they are just are doing some amazing work. Just really mind-blowing. Yeah, tech is, is becoming a part of sex. And I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I mean, like you said, it could go a negative way, which almost anything can go into a negative way. But I mean, just the potential for helping people is just ginormous. Yeah. I actually just wrote an article about the use of sex toys for people with chronic illnesses and disabilities and how for people with issues with mobility or with fatigue, sometimes sex toys can allow them to experience pleasure or orgasm without um, having to strain muscles that are, give them difficulties or without having to, you know, to exert themselves too much. And there are certain toys that are made specifically for people with disabilities. Yeah. Or a toy that's very quick. Like I'm thinking of a discussion I had with a follower, a fan, a friend, whatever you want to call them. And his wife had, has a lot of lung issues. So for her getting hot and heated 
out of breath issue is kind of what ruins it for her. And so for me, it's like this woman could still enjoy sex if she had a sex toy that maybe got her there faster. And they both could find enjoyment with him using it on her and helping her get there and her just actually feeling it. And so tech, I don't, I mean, I can see why some people might be scared of it or think it's going to replace someone, which it could never replace a person, but it can have such huge value in such a case. Yeah, it could. I mean, I wonder if she's tried toys like the Satisfier or Womanizer that are like geared toward getting people off really quickly. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the kind of thing she needs. And it's just, it's hard to me when you see that kind of situation, because whether she wants to leave sex out of her life or not, she has maybe hasn't even tried these particular toys and is making that decision without having tried them. And she's just going to be missing out. Very tough situation. So I saw that you also like to write poetry and erotica. What do you like to write about most often in those? Gosh, I haven't written poetry in a while. I've published a couple of poems. Let's see, one of them is called Dancing with Snakes, and it's a poem about sexual healing. It's a poem about a fear of snakes and how it sort of represented to me a fear of sex and how I learned to sort of make friends with the snakes and to like no longer fear sex or men and just reconceptualize sex in my mind, which I think is something that came from that sexual awakening I had in college and that realization that sex wasn't an act of taking something from a woman, but it could be an act of her taking something or even better of both people sharing and no one taking anything from another. So that was one of my favorite poems I've written. Um, The other poem I have published, it's kind of fun. It's actually uses the metaphor of Schrodinger's cat. And it's this story about this acid trip that I had like in 2016 and this weird thought I had about Schrodinger's cat. And it just kind of paints this funny like picture of this acid trip with my friend and and like my brother's garden, who I hope my brother doesn't <laughs> find out about that. Oops. I don't think he would actually care, but <laughs> yeah. So that was just like, I don't know. I've written a lot of poems that sort of weave together philosophy and my own personal experiences. Very interesting. Do you feel like when you write, do you ever do anything to get you in the state of mind that you're ready to write or do, how do you do that? It depends. I think I'm so used to writing every day that I don't really need to do anything. Sometimes I eat cacao, which like cacao nibs or like these have weird tastes. Like I like playing cacao that's unsweetened, like just the pure cacao that like helps me have energy to write and do things. But um, mainly I just kind of pick up my computer and start writing. I don't really... I find that once I start doing it, like the hardest part is just to start doing it. Then once you start doing it, it just flows out. You know, that's more for articles. I think creative writing is a little trickier because you need to feel inspired. And sometimes you need to take time off of writing or working in order to start to feel inspired. Like some ideas have come to me while I was at the spa in the sauna or the jacuzzi or in the shower or something like that. Yeah, I think that's very true because I, I also write nonfiction and fiction as well. And 
I often find I get a lot of ideas in the shower, which is interesting. I don't know why that is, but I've heard other people say such things, you know, they're in the bath or something around water, or I don't know if it's the routine, or, but our brains somehow, it goes somewhere else sometimes. What yeah, is- I mean, there have, there have been studies showing when people step away from a problem, like they're trying to problem solve them, when they step away from it, then they are more able to think of creative solutions. So I think that's true for writing as well. Yeah, that might be what it is. Or, you know, like people will often say that might wake up with an idea, like their brain was working on it perhaps while they were asleep. Exactly. I wake up with ideas in the middle of the night sometimes. Do you keep paper by your, uh, or your phone by your bed so you can write it down or jot it down? (laughs) Yeah, I actually do. I have paper and a pen because I don't want to expose myself to electronics when I'm trying to sleep. So I have like old fashioned paper and pens, although I like, I know I'll probably lose it. So I like take photos of what I write. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And I think too, I feel like you need to write it down quickly because sometimes you, those thoughts you can somehow easily lose if you don't document them. I know. I always think, oh, that idea is so good. Of course I'll remember it. And then in the morning I completely forget it. Yeah. Especially at night. I feel like that that happens to me too, or right away in the morning. It's kind of like when you're trying to remember a dream, but as the more awake you become, the less you seem to remember about that dream. I know. I try to write down my dreams as well. I worked with a Jungian therapist who actually helped me interpret dreams. And it was really fascinating just what different things symbolize. Oh, I bet that would be very fascinating. Very fun too. And enlightening. Yeah, there, she noticed there was a lot of like pregnancy in my dreams, <laughs> a yeah. lot of sex and a lot of pregnancy, which she took to mean like the birth of something new. And yeah, she sort of taught me how to like, when you dream about other people, they can represent a side of yourself that has the qualities of that person. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily about that person. It's about like you reconciling with a part of yourself. Very interesting. So much we don't know, right? There's so much we do not know. And it's just, it's very, it's very intriguing. So what's your favorite thing that you've done in your career? Wow. My favorite thing. Or one of them. It's hard to pick one. (laughs) Honestly, I don't even know if it counts as part of my career because I haven't well I that poem came from it I took a summer off in 2019 and I took writing I spent the summer in New York and I took fiction and poetry classes at Columbia University and that was Mm. like one of the best summers of my life oh yeah and I went to sex parties like every weekend and that like doesn't sound like a career thing but then I ended up writing (laughs) about that too So that was like my ultimate, like best, I don't know if it was my best summer ever, but like best career move was like, I I wrote this Alice in Wonderland parody about a woman who loses a white rabbit vibrator and follows it down a wormhole and like (laughs) in this alternate universe. I, I never finished or published it. I hope one day I have that opportunity. And I wrote a bunch of poems. And I think that's when I'm happiest, actually, is just writing things that I don't even think about, like how publishable they are. Unfortunately, like, you know, 
I kind of have to think about that when that's how I'm making money. But that that was my favorite thing was just writing for the fun of it. Oh, yeah. And very interesting story idea indeed. Or experience, maybe not even a, sometimes you feel like writing, it's more of an experience than it is a planned thing. Like it just kind of can flow out of you or the character flows out of you or what the character does just kind of flows. Do you ever feel that? Yeah. Like certain things are just asking to be written, even if Mm -hmm. it makes no sense and doesn't seem publishable. It's like something in my head that I need to get down, even if it only ever gets seen by like, I don't know. I kind of believe that there's like this cloud, like almost like the apple cloud, but it's just like all of our collective thoughts and consciousness. And that's what we're released into when we die. So I like to think like, you know, even if something never gets published or never gets read, like it gets released into the cloud and then the collective consciousness of all living beings have this new knowledge accessible to them. Wow, that's very intriguing. A way to share that we haven't even like formulated ideas on yet. <laughs> I like that. You've been on quite a few different platforms that are quite popular, like Today's Show and The View and New York Magazine, Washington Post. How does it feel to have your work showcased in those areas and to be able to reach so many people as a result? It feels exciting. It's always like this rush of exhilaration when you like end up, you know, when the internet ends up talking about you. There's also often downsides. It depends on, I've had you know, pieces go viral that were offensive to people such as men's rights activists or conservatives. Mm. And um, that is both exhilarating because you're like, wow, I matter that much that like people are so many people are (laughs) mad at me. But also, I've gotten a lot of trolls and a lot of harassments. So I've had to develop a thick skin to that. And I'm still working on that because sometimes it's really hurtful what people say to you online. It's true. And I feel like, you know, the internet is very awesome and that we can talk to people across distance like we are right now, any part in the world. But it also creates this place where people think that they say things that they wouldn't normally even say to your face and they think that's okay. Yeah. And it's like, what are they expecting to gain from it? Like, are they expecting right. a response? I don't even know. Like they, they just want an outlet for their anger and they just want to know that they've hurt someone, which right. I can relate to. Cause sometimes when I'm really mad, I want to hurt someone too. I, and unfortunately some people don't have a healthy outlet for those emotions and they just, they want they want to be heard and that's how they make themselves heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's very disturbing and sad. So what are your thoughts on the purity culture in the U S is it getting better? Is it getting worse? What are your thoughts? I've been thinking a bit about that. I actually, I haven't really talked about this publicly before I had this, awakening last year during a psychedelic trip where I spoke to Jesus and I actually started reading the Bible and I started going to a church after that and became for a while really embroiled in Christianity. And I had a 
internal conflict over sex positivity and um, purity and how those two things fit together. Because I think that I actually appreciated a lot of what I gained from Christianity. And I think that the value of purity in of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that purity to me means making sure that you're making the best decisions for your mind, body, and soul, and that you are coming from a place of light and good and kindness. And um, however, I think that that can coexist with sex positivity because sex positivity doesn't mean neglect your mind or soul or, and like only pay attention to your genitals. You know, it, it can mean that you want connective experiences can mean whatever it means to you. Some people don't always want connective experiences and that's fine also. But I think that we have this dichotomy in our culture between sexuality and purity and, or desirousness and purity or sensuality and purity. And I would like to see those two things brought together more often. And I think that they are, I mean, there are even, I interviewed this one woman named Heidi Johnson, who calls herself the pussy pastor, who is a pastor who is preaching sex positivity and who held meetings of women who, where they would share sex toys and talk about their sexual experiences. And so I think that there is still a purity culture in the US, obviously, and mostly there are a lot of people who are still very sex negative or have this view of sex as of women as belonging to either their fathers or their husbands. But I think I've personally met more and more people who are integrating those two things and who are both uh, spiritual or religious and or value purity in some other way and are sex positive. So I hope to see those things further integrating. Absolutely. And yeah, I really like that idea of having purity and sex positivity coinciding or going along with each other rather than going against each other. And yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And that pussy pastor, huh? That's very interesting. What's her name again? Heidi Johnson. I actually haven't caught up with her in a while, so I'm not sure what she's doing now, but I wrote an article about her for Elle magazine in 2017, I think about her work interweaving Christianity and sex positivity. Very nice. That that definitely needs to happen. And I feel like that's really in the minority. And I hope that that changes. I hope that that blossoms. So do you have a favorite sex toy that you like to promote for people? My personal favorite sex toy is called the Chakrabs the Heart. And it's a rose quartz dildo. I like this toy. Well, This is not a scientific claim, but the claim that it makes is that crystals have different energies. Chakrabs makes toys out of different crystals. So the rose quartz energy is supposed to open the heart. It could be a completely placebo effect, but I felt like the first few times I used it, I did have a heart opening. I found like my emotions were more accessible to me and I was crying over like emotions from childhood that I hadn't processed and like weird things started happening. So I feel like it has some sort of ability, but that's not scientifically proven. The other reason I like it is because 
I actually was able to teach myself to squirt on command using this toy. The shape and the material are good for both for G-spot stimulation and cervical stimulation. And there's just something, there's a wider side and a smaller side. So you can like use the side that feels best to you. Maybe start with a smaller, work up to the wider I'm not getting paid to say this, by the way. I'm just answering off the top of my head, like what toy has helped sure. me? It would have to be that one. Made out of that material. It sounds like it would be very beautiful. Is it beautiful looking? It is. Yeah, it's pink and it's pink and sort of has this crystalline appearance. Very interesting. I have not heard of that. And that's just, that's really interesting. So I have to ask you about squirting. I have read so many things online about what it is, where does it come from? How can you make it happen? Is it pee? I've seen so many different things. What, where, where do you stand on all of that with squirting? Yeah. So squirting, where should I start? So squirting is generally a response to stimulation, usually around the G-spot. And the, the G-spot is also an area that's under debate because it's not a discrete anatomical feature and not everyone even experiences sensitivity in that area. But some people say that, you know, an inch or two into the vagina on the upper wall, there's an area of sensitivity and that's the G-spot. So often it's through stimulation of that area, but not always, sometimes it's clitoral stimulation. It could, it could really come from any kind of stimulation, but it's sort of, it does come through the urethra and some of it, there was a study showing that it contained urine and that those who squirted their bladders emptied when they squirted, which, which led some people to say that squirting is just peeing. However, I would argue that it's a separate process, even if there's a common substance a substance that's the same in the two processes. There's also, you know, squirting may in part include urine, but it also may include other fluids from, from the vagina and what they call the female prostate. And so I think that it's regardless of whether it's pee, there is, it's a separate process. And if you are having sex and you're aroused, it's actually, it's not easy to pee. You have to almost turn on a different process in order to pee. And so I think that it's not pee, but it also isn't necessarily an orgasm. That's a common misconception that people think, I think, you know, penis owners assume that because for them, like, you know, the expulsion of fluid is almost always associated with orgasm. And they think that that is how it is for a vulva, mm -hmm. but actually squirting without orgasm often happens for some, they do happen together, but it's unwise to make the assumption that someone has orgasms because they've squirted. And some people will stop pleasing their partners because they've squirted when actually like they're just starting to get excited and they have not actually orgasmed. Some, for some people squirting, even if it's not orgasm, it's still a pleasant feeling of release. And for some, it may not actually feel like anything at all. So there's, there's a wide range of experiences with squirting, but it is a real thing and generally a positive thing, but also shouldn't be fetishized or made out to be sexual applause as 
Lola Jean, who's a squirting expert who I once interviewed on this, she said like people see it as sexual applause and often it's there to feed the male ego, which it shouldn't be. Um, right, right. So it should, you know, you should never try to make someone squirt if that's not something they're interested in also. Now, I've heard a few people say in learning how to squirt is that it's something you have to just like release, like you feel like you're going to pee and then you just release it. Has that been your experience or is it just kind of like burst out? I've had both experiences. So I actually first squirted when I was 20 years old and having sex for the first time. And I didn't have the pee feeling then. It just kind of came out. And like, I didn't even really notice it because I was just like having fun and my partner pointed it out, but I couldn't actually control it. And so it was only maybe last year that I decided I was going to like teach myself how to squirt on commands. And well, it's not exactly on commands because I can't, you know, there needs to be a certain level of stimulation, but yeah, I would use my pink rose quartz dildo and I would get to a point where it felt like maybe I had to pee. And so I decided just as an experiment, like to let myself to just keep going and like allow myself to pee if that was what happened and to sort of like bear down with my pelvic floor muscles. And I I feel like that was actually the trick that it does feel almost like peeing because there's this sort of bearing down motion. And that was like what allowed me to actually expel fluid, which like was a little bit like peeing, but also didn't feel like peeing because there was sexual pleasure involved. So I feel like it can go both ways. And I feel like sometimes it does, it does kind of feel like peeing, but it's the motion that creates, it might feel like peeing, but the experience itself is much more enjoyable. Very interesting. I feel like there's not a lot known about squirting scientifically and personal anecdotes. And so it's just interesting to talk with you about it and hear your experiences. Yeah, I... I had an OnlyFans for a while where I was demonstrating squirting, which was fun. Oh, I bet. <laughs> what, <laughs> so what's your take on OnlyFans? Do you think it's contributing, it's helping people just personally, also people who are seeking it out? What, what role do you see OnlyFans playing in our culture? That's a good question. That's something that I still... Um, that I'm still grappling with. I think that it can be a way for people, like I said, to learn about their desires and to, you know, for a lot of men, what I found when I was on OnlyFans was a lot of men just wanted to learn about female pleasure and wanted to learn how, you know, women's or at least cis women's bodies worked. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it, when, even though not always intentionally educational, ends up serving that purpose because like a lot of the cam models are female and a lot of, you know, a lot of the customers are male. I also think, you know, that there is a dynamic there where it is mainly women performing for men that I think should be examined, not necessarily as a property of OnlyFans, but as just a general culture-wide convention where sex is often 
sort of filtered through the male gaze and it's women's quote unquote job to provide visual pleasure. I think there's a larger dynamic there that's interesting. And, you know, that's not to say it's wrong for women to profit from that system. I've done it, but I think that, you know, I'm just wary of, I think that a lot of It's almost as if whenever a woman does anything sexual, it is deemed empowering. And I think that the concept of empowerment has become cheapened Mm, and that we should really examine gender dynamics of, you know, like some people called um, playboy spreads empowering because it's women being sexual. I personally don't know if it is always women being sexual when they pose nude on a magazine, or if it's in fact catering to men's sexuality. And I think there needs to be, you know, representations of sexualities that don't fit that norm. And there is that on OnlyFans. There are queer, queer accounts, um, you know, people with a wide range of body types, people with disabilities and whatnot. Um, Yeah. So yeah, kind of the same I said about like porn or vibrators, like it could be used for good or evil. I think one interesting thing I thought of while you were talking about that is the difference between Playboy spread and an individual running an OnlyFans is the individual is deciding how they will lay, how they will portray themselves, how they will communicate through their bodies. Whereas in a Playboy, it's done by the photographer, most likely. Hey, move this way. Hey, bend that way. That's That's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between those. And it's kind of the difference also between directed porn and amateur porn. That's true. I haven't really thought about that. I mean, there's, of course, people will be considering even when it's self-directed, what will be the most appealing to viewers. Mm, But yeah, I think when things are put in the hands of the performers themselves, then they have more freedom to buck convention. And they may be going from convention convention just based on their own selves, but it's still an expression through them, even if it includes that filter. It's still from them. Yeah. Very interesting. And, and I find it very interesting also that people tend to like amateur porn much better than they like the scripted porn that's made by perhaps a big company. It's interesting. People just like, seems more real to them and more genuine. And I know if it's a couple doing it and they want to express themselves in that way to the world, I think it is more genuine and more valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you heard of the site Make Love Not Porn? No. It's all amateur videos. And the idea is to sort of show how real couples connect and to show love making rather than just sex so to show like you know emotionally connected sex oh nice is it a subscription site it is i think it's pretty cheap though i think it may just be like five dollars you know i don't i don't know exactly how much it is but yes subscription right oh that's good i'm glad it's subscription so that people you know i'm sure they probably have previews yeah, so that the people can get paid. And I guess that's one good thing about Pornhub too, is that people can put things up there that like advertise something bigger that someone can purchase. So it's a way for them to kind of get in front of people who maybe would potentially buy like a full video or something like that. So I think the Pornhub stuff isn't all bad, even though it's free because 
if it, it creates a place for people to advertise what they are selling. That's true. And, and, and it's, their, it's their decision to put it up there as well. It's kind of like, I think of it as social media where people may put up a blurb of their book or just something talking about their book or something like that. It's kind of a way to advertise because in our country, we have a really hard time advertising such things. Like as an Amazon, you can't advertise your erotica. Well, they'll publish it for you, but they won't let you pay for ads which is really sad. And, you know, because they can, they have many ways to filter things. There's no reason they can't do this also and let us purchase ads for our work to bring it to the people who want to see it, people who are buying it or reading it already. Yeah. Why, why aren't people allowed to do that? They won't let you. I have this is a big thing, a big beef among many erotica authors, because I interview a lot of them and who are independently published or self-published and Amazon won't let you do it. And I even just interviewed a man who has a book, a self-help book for men. This is a self-help book for sexuality for men. And he told me Amazon won't even let him advertise. Like that is ridiculous. Weird. It is weird. And his is labeled as self-help and it is a self-help book. I've listened to the entire audiobook, and it's helping men with relationships, how to be a better partner, how to be a better lover, just, just general self-help. Like why does Amazon just put the, they just knock all of us out. I mean, anybody talking about sex, they're just like, Oh, nope, sorry. You can't advertise. It's really <laughs> sad. <laughs> Frustrating, but we keep trying, right? Yeah. Do you see yourself continuing to write erotica or more nonfiction articles? In the future? In the future, I hopefully will be writing books. I've been trying to get a book published for almost five years, and which is actually not that uncommon to spend that long trying. And I'm still working away at that. I have two different proposals that are actively being circulated among editors, um, both sort of in the realm of feminist nonfiction and cultural critique. And um, I, I've also written like four different versions of my memoir, none of which seem like a version I would really want to publish, but I feel like I'm getting somewhere with that. Um, so yeah, I have all these books planned out in my head that I want to write one day. And I hope that one day I'm mainly writing books. Right. Yeah. And when you pitch a nonfiction book, it's very different than a fiction book, right? Because you're pitching the idea and the outline, like a proposal for nonfiction, whereas in, in fiction, you have to have the book written as you are pitching it very different approaches. Yeah. Well, for nonfiction, you do need um, two or three chapters written. Um, okay. But yeah, I haven't written fiction besides that Alice in Wonderland parody that I've never tried to publish. So I don't know much about it. Sure. Sure. Where would you like to see your career go in the future? Like what would you like to achieve other than books? I would like... I would like to be a leader in the field of sexuality. I would like to be seen not just as someone who transmits information that I learned from others, but someone who comes up with their own theories and who changes the way people think about sex. So I'm not sure exactly what that would look like. I would really like to grow my coaching business and 
to be, I guess, more of a thought leader, someone whose ideas about sex or about relationships or about people in the world are changing how everyday people relate to others. That's a great goal and a very needed thing, I think, in our world. Now, in talking about your course that you, the one that the paid one, the five month one, what all do you encompass in that? Is there any sort of discussion or is it kind of like the person just sits back and takes it all in and does like homework? Yeah, there are different aspects of the course. I created workbooks. So for each, every two weeks, there's a different module. So the modules we go through are self-care, embodiment, self-pleasure, the clitoris, the vagina. I'm missing a few, but different things like that. And for each one, I have a recorded lesson where I just talk about it and they can listen on their own time. And then I have a workbook where there is an assignment. So I have some fun assignments, like for one people, um, sorry, my cat. (laughs) Hello, kitty. (laughs) It's cute. Um, Yeah. For like one assignment, I tell people to buy something completely frivolous that they don't need because this gets you in a state of fun and pleasure and kind of out of your head and sort of giving yourself permission to have fun. I give people assignments like specific masturbation techniques. So there's that workbook. And then, and then every two weeks, there's a zoom call where we'll discuss, I'll talk a little bit more about the topic and uh, people will ask their questions. And then there's some little bonuses scattered within there. There's a one-on-one call with me for people who need help troubleshooting. Then there's a call with um, Lori Mintz, who she's a psychologist and sex therapist who wrote a book called Becoming Clitorate about orgasm equality and the clitoris and the politics of that. So yeah, that's basically the course. Very interesting. And then I noticed it's not something that you can do whenever. It's like a set time frame, correct? Yeah, the Zoom calls are a set time frame and the rest you can do on your own time. Okay. Makes sense. Have you found it's hard to advertise such a course or what kind of methods do you do to advertise it? Yeah, I've, I mean, knock on wood, I've advertised it on Instagram and Twitter and my newsletter. I actually got kicked off MailChimp briefly for Mm. um, advertising. It was actually my other class, the Orgasm Cure that I made through MailChimp and I got briefly kicked off and then I petitioned. So we let back on and they let me back on, but that, that kind of stuff happens to people all the time. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm pretty nervous about potentially being kicked off Instagram because I know a lot of people who are just sex educators and coaches who talk about sexuality and get kicked off of Instagram just for that. Twitter is a little, Twitter is more permissive of that kind of content, but yeah, that's definitely a problem uh, that escalated with FOSTA SESTA, a law that was meant to pre- prevent the prevent online sex trafficking, but also spilled over into all this other online sexual content that ended up getting censored. Mm. Um, so that's definitely a worry of people in the industry. Yeah, I've had the same experience with Instagram versus Twitter. I've almost gotten kicked off of Twitter a couple of times too, or I'm not Twitter, I'm sorry, Instagram. I always got, anytime they froze my account, I always got it back. But, you know, I'm like writing erotica and stuff. And they, at one point accused me of selling 
selling sex. And I'm like, this is words in a picture. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And then I did get the account back, but I was like, no, <laughs> it's completely inaccurate. Yeah. I didn't know you could get kicked off of MailChimp though. I use MailChimp and I also use ConvertKit for my other side of my writing, but I didn't know you could get kicked off of MailChimp. Was it, how do they even like know what you're doing? Do they like, I don't get that. So they just, I guess they have some kind of algorithm that detects certain words. Maybe now I'm more careful. Like instead of orgasm, I write like a zero for the O and use all those tricks. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I got this email from them that one day that was just like, well, we don't judge your industry. We have limits on like what kind of content we work with, which was, (laughs) you know, a little silly because that does seem like judging my industry. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've had this recent thing too. Also with Patreon, they were unhappy with the way I worded some things. And so that's an issue. I've heard several people prefer subscribe star over Patreon for that very reason, because they keep getting kickbacks from Patreon saying, you can't word it this way. You can't say this, can't say that. And it's very frustrating. (laughs) But we we do need an email list. That's the thing. I mean, you you need as a creator, a content creator, it is key to have that. They are the people that you are, you know, people that you are selling to, people that want your content. And to be potentially shut down through that is is pretty disturbing. It is. And it's just another way, like sex workers, you know, that there's all these barriers for sex workers to actually be able to make money and to succeed. Yeah. Not just sex workers, but anyone in the sex industry or any adjacent industry. Oh yeah. Anybody who talks about sex, writes about sex. Absolutely. Yet people are clamoring for such content. So it just, it's very contradictory. Well, is there anything else that you would like to touch on before we end our our discussion? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I really enjoyed talking with you. It's very, very interesting and very, very informative. And I loved many of the things that you talked about that I hadn't thought of before. So thank you so much for coming on my show. Yeah, thank you for having me. You have an amazing day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Well, that's the end of the interview. I would love to thank Susanna Weiss for being on my podcast and sharing all her amazing, interesting thoughts and ideas and sharing with us her amazing courses, which sounds so amazing. Just absolutely fantastic thing for the world for women who would like to explore their orgasmic life and really enhance it. So I hope that you have an amazing day. Again, you can find me on social media and my website is ruinwillowauthor.com and my books are on Amazon, my erotic books, as well as my erotic audiobooks that I have narrated. Check on Amazon. I will put the links down in the podcast notes to Susanna's courses and all of her contact information so that you can follow her 
on the other platforms and find out more about her, maybe read her books or articles. She has amazing things to say. So check her out, check out her courses and sign up right now. I believe that her enrollment is open until March 1st. So be sure you register before March 1st if you would like to try out her amazing course. Thank you for listening and I hope you have an amazing sexy fucking day. Love ya. Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.